0: many years, and so many of you personally behind us, so I have got to say thank you when I was up here. Okay, my my title is kind of schizophrenic because I'm of two minds all the time, so I couldn't decide between wisdom in the wilderness or joy in the journey, so it's kind of both, it's kind of both, because um, just a little synopsis, we're going to be launching in the book of James this morning, you know, and uh, they were going through a hard time. And, you know, one of the key thoughts in there is like, count it joy when you're going through uh, trials and tribulations because God wants to focus your faith on Him. This is kind of a synopsis of where we're going. And these guys were definitely in trials. And um, who's in a trial today? Okay. Who's in one you don't want to mention? Okay. Hey, welcome to Earth, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's like, earth is full of trials, you know, and when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, God promised them, you know, if you eat this, you're surely going to die, and you know, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to make it, and so life is hard, isn't it, guys, it, especially if we're, we're wanting to live God's way, and the world is just thrusting us away from God's ways, and all the philosophies, and and laws, and everything of this land, so that's kind of an overview of um, In so many ways, we are in the wilderness, guys. This isn't home. Our whole life on earth is like overnight in a motel room, you know, compared to heaven. But it's tough here. We got trials down here. It's like being in the wilderness, and we're like, my prayer to God, help, give me wisdom in the wilderness. And then he talks about counting it all joy when you find yourself in various trials. And it's like, what? So think of it as joy in the journey. It's like the reality that life is hard, but the fact is, He wants to give us joy in the journey, even though we're under a bunch of trials. So that's the short version. And now, um, that's kind of like a, a quick synopsis of what we're doing today. So I'm going to dig into it here. If you want to swipe to James 1, I, I put the scriptures on the screen, or if you've got a paper Bible, or somehow... Um, I love having the Word here, guys, because this isn't just my hallucination. This is what God actually wrote, and He's a pretty smart guy, you know. And so, I like to have the Word of God evident out here. So, starting with James, chapter one, just the beginning of it. There, uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I I I stopped there a minute to think, you know, what's James' identity? You know, here he is. Lead pastor in the first church. You know, so many churches call themselves the first church. Well, this is really the first church at Jerusalem ever. And it's a huge church. And he's the lead pastor. And he doesn't say, Hi, I'm James. You know, by the way, you know, I'm the Lord's brother, by the way, his half brother. Did I mention that? And I'm the lead pastor of the first church. No. What's his identity? He calls himself a servant. And some of you may know the Greek word for that is doulos. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture of serving God because you love Him. It's the picture from uh, being a bondservant from like Exodus 21, where on the seventh year, you are to set your bondservants free. They no longer have to serve you. It was God's rule to set your bondservants free. And then it says, but the servant, because of his love for his master returns to the master and says, I want to serve you my whole life because I love you. And then they would take him to the doorpost and the first ear piercings, pierce his ear, and that would mark him as he is bonded to serve his master forever because of the love for the master. Does that sound like us? Guys, we've been set free by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are set free and so it's like, okay, what do you want to do now? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? You know, like when we used to be high schoolers, I had the first muscle car. We're not listening to our parents. We're not doing what, you, and we're against society, and rah, 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 and we all get together. No one's telling us what to do. And then we get together and go, hmm, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? You know, let's go get in trouble. Everything's fun's either illegal or costs a lot. So anyway, we're free, guys. That's the point. And as Christians... We don't have to do anything, but because of our love for the Master, we become a doulos. And we're able to say, like when Jesus, before he was going to the cross, he said, Lord, if there's any way, another way you can do this, this cup may pass from me, let it be, but not my will, but yours be done. His extreme love for us, let him be obedient all the way to the cross to die for us. Why? Because he loves us. You know and it's like living for God, and I hope, and I'm begging you guys that this becomes our identity, not the work we do, or the clothes we wear, whatever. Our identity is we're a doulos. We're a servant because we choose to love God and want to live for Him. Isn't that a cool identity? And what other people think of you, how would you describe her? Well, she's kind of weird. She's just in love with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'll take that as an identity. You know, that's an awesome identity, not all the other things. So, Just a brief um, picture of the story with which James starts out. James, a lead pastor, his identity, he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now here's where we kind of get the word wandering and trials. This whole message today has to do with the trials and tribulations of life, the storms of life, the disasters of life, because the 12 tribes are scattered in the dispersion. And what this is... um, as you read earlier in Acts, the early church was under extreme persecution. And, and after they stoned Stephen, it was the other religious leaders of the day persecuted the Christians, including Paul, uh, who was earlier called Saul. So because of their stand for Christ, they were feeling persecuted. Does anyone else feel like that here? It's not popular to be a Christian anymore, is it? and we are persecuted more and more, and uh, not like these guys, though. They were literally kicked out of their hometown, and they were on the road. They were dispersed all through the regions in the area, homeless, refugees. Now, these people literally had to leave Jerusalem. It wasn't just don't go to church anymore. They were kicked out of town, And so they're wandering around looking for a new job, a new place to live. And this is women and children. The families and the tribes were literally kicked out. And that's what he's addressing here. And so you think of these guys in these trials. What do you think is going through their head? I put it on the PowerPoint. But why? Why is God doing this to me? I mean, I'm living for you, God. We were, we were, we were. and, And why did you kick us out of our home? You know? And so often, guys, in our trials... That's one of the questions that comes up so much, is why? And you know what? It's a good question to ask God in humble submission, to ask God why. Give me some insight into my life. I just remember before I even got saved, I'd done all the things to have fun and the American dream and all this stuff, and my marriage wasn't doing good, and I just looked to the stars praying to God. I always liked God, but I wasn't a Christian at this time. I just look at these stars, and I go, God, help. All these stars are in perfect order. You're somehow running this whole universe. You're doing a good job. I don't see them crashing into each other, and birds don't crash into each other. Like, you kind of know what you're doing. My life is all screwed up. Help. That's a good prayer, you know. Help. That, that's a real good prayer. Looking at the heavens and saying, God, help me. And so, As we get to verse 2 in chapter 1, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, what's your first reaction, count it all joy? Are you crazy? Count it joy? You know, that might be for you Christians who pretend life is okay, but man, my life's really hurting. How, How can we count it joy in the journey when we're in the wilderness and life is hard and we're trying to sort things out and trials... Trials, part of life, coming at us, trials, temptations, uh, getting discouraged. Um, just in, uh, in our circle of friends and uh, our small church, you know, uh, being a pastor, we end up entering into so many lives that are really, really hurting. And um, I can't ask, I go, God, Why? Why? does this young mom in our church discovered a brain tumor the size of a baseball in her head, in her brain. This is two weeks ago. And why my other friend who served in Vietnam is so discouraged that he's quit hanging out with Christians, he's quit going to church. Why is that? And my other friend who was injured greatly in the Navy, going through extreme depression, And both of these guys choose to quit hanging out with Christians. I go, why? Why do they go that way? Another married couple, wife just just so sick of her husband, and God wants me happy, so I'm going to leave my husband. And this is just a few examples of within this last month. And I'm entering in trying to encourage these people, and I can't help but say, why, God? Why are there so many trials? And what hurts me even more is why sometimes people in trials don't go to you. and They don't have the joy because they did it my way. And so often, guys, when the trials come, as the scripture gets into just a minute here, we're not finding joy in the trials. We're deciding to do it my way instead. And so what's your current trial? I just have a few examples up here. This isn't the part I want your input, but I am going to ask for your input later, so get ready. I'm one of those preachers when I ask a question, I really want input. Is it health? Is it wealth? These are, these are the core issues that happen so much. Is it insecurities? Is it an emotional trial you're in right now? Relational. Whoo, life is made of relationships, isn't it? And when relationships are good, life is good. Relationships are bad, life is terrible. How about spiritual? Is it a spiritual battle you're in right now? Trying to decide whose ways are better and being tempted way off the track or maybe you're so far off the track you don't know if you want to get back in walking with the Lord. Or how about my favorite one, the unmentionable ones? Guys, you know how it is. There are things so deep that you don't want to mention them to anybody. They they hurt that much. And just... What are the trials of your life? Don't say it to me, please. I just want you to ask the Lord that today, in this little message today, you leave with some perspective and some encouragement here. But you've got to identify the problem. You've got to identify the trials. That's one of the first steps in fixing it. Because here's one of the key things I hope you guys go home with, because you know that it's the testing of your faith that produces steadfastness. Some versions say patience. Uh, stick with this. And guys, think about this. It's the testing of our faith. God wants to bring the test to us, which will reveal what we really believe. I'm not saying, oh, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. Well, you know what? Truth is, there's a percentage of God's ways in our life that we believe. So when I'm taking the testing of your faith, I'm thinking about what you really go to when you're hurting. And I know this is small print, but I, I put this up here just because it's a story that you've probably heard of many times in Matthew chapter 8. And, and think of this story as an application of the testing of our faith. It's really cool because when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Many of you, or hopefully all of you, have decided to get in the boat with Jesus Christ. You believed in Christ, he's your Savior. By faith, you came to him as a sinner. And it's like, wow, I get it why you died for me on the cross, me personally. So in many ways, we followed Jesus, we got in the boat. Okay, now we're in the boat as a Christian. Oh, this is going to be a nice cruise, isn't it? I wonder if they're going to serve to eat and everything. You know, We kind of look at our Christian life like, well, now that I know Jesus, I won't get cancer and everything will be nice. And it's like, you no, know, they got in the boat with Jesus. And the storm got massive, so much that they were going to sink. This is a wonderful testing of our faith because think of the disciples. Three of them are fishermen. They had the skill in the storm. And you know they had a good boat because these fishermen were professional. So they had a good boat and they had skill. But now, the testing of their faith, they realized their faith in their boat and their faith in their skill and ability was gone because the storm was greater. So think of it as God was showing them that their faith and their skill and their ability and their boat, the storm was greater than what they were trusting in. And so they're freaking out. You know the story. Oh, Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Another key thing. You're in the storm. Hey, where's Jesus when I need him? Guys, he's right there in the boat with us. But sometimes we feel like he's sleeping and he doesn't care and he doesn't know. So they wake him up. Don't you care that we die? He wakes up and he goes, calms the storm just like that and he can do that in our lives but the next words out of his mouth was you guys of little faith I mean don't you see guys you were trusting in your boat and your skill and here I am Jesus Christ creator of the universe sustainer of the heavens and the earth in the boat with you and you finally realized that your faith in your boat and your skill wasn't enough so you came back to me And this is what God wants to do in our storms, guys. The faith in your career, the faith in your health, the faith in your ability, the faith in whatever, faith in your good looks, faith in the clothes you're wearing, the faith in whatever you're putting your faith in, God is going to bring a storm that makes you ask the questions and brings you beyond what you were putting your faith in. Faith in your philosophy of life. Whatever it is, God wants to move us to faith in himself. Here's an acronym acronym from... um, Recovery programs, Uh, it's called HALT. I left small print underneath purposely because everything's got small print. Does anyone what HALT stands to? Has anyone been in recovery programs? Okay, well, we're all in a recovery program. It, It says, when you are feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, stop. Because your initial thing would be to go to your happy place, your previous addiction. I put the small print in here because I put in here, this is for us, what's your go-to when times are tough? Now, you may be too embarrassed to say it, so I'm going to start with a few easy ones. A go-to happy place, chocolate. Let's have some chocolate. I'm feeling hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Give me some chocolate. Or how about some comfort food? Or let's go to the movies. Or let's go to the ball game. Or let's get high or let's get drunk. You know, there's so many go-tos, and so often when we think of recovery and halt, we think, "Oh, those drug addicts and those drunks." It's like, okay, well, what's your happy place? It could be legal. You want to shout some out? What's your happy place you go to? Coffee. Coffee. Ooh, I could quit any time too. <laughs> Just don't want to. <laughs> I'm not an addict, really. What are some other happy places we go to? Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen yeah. Target. <laughs> Shopping. Adventure land. Adventure land. Being alone. Yeah. So often that's what we do. I just don't want to see anybody. I, I'm just hurting. Just want to be alone. Those are just some examples of, of. and there's nothing wrong with entities. Don't get me wrong, guys. It, it's like the disciples in the boat. There's anything wrong with knowing how to take care of the seas, how to fish, how to have a good boat. No, there's nothing wrong with these things. But God, in his faithful love to us, wants to bring us to the end of our resources, to the end of our faith, the portion of our faith that is not in him because we all put faith in other things. So I'm really trying to dig deep in these few minutes into your own personal worldview, your personal programming. Think of your worldview as, as... The programming that you run on, it's like how you look at situations, interpret them, and react to them. It's like how you have been programmed is is really what the worldview is, and that's really what our faith is. Our faith is what we really do, not what we say we would do because we're Christians, but I'm talking about what we really do based on what we figure works for our life, you know, our personal programming. Some of that could be, you know, something's going down or something, or you don't like somebody, your response is to lash out and chew them out and scream at them or whatever, or your response might be whatever. So it's our personal programming, and in this, guys, God wants to change our personal worldview and starts out with thinking, really, what is the origin of wisdom? What is the purpose we're on earth? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's important in life? What's the value? I see i got to keep moving because we live in America and we're watching the clock. Sorry. Um, so when, when you think of your personal programming, think of your faith, your personal belief system. What is it really? And I guarantee from my own life too, it is not 100% God's will. I'm being changed. As my little graph shows here, the, uh, think of the, uh, the pie chart being of our true belief system. And on the one side here is God's word and his way that I was generous, I gave myself about 60%, but see the arrow there? The arrow means this part of my faith is my reactions and my personal belief system that are not God's ways. Places I go when trials are happening, that is not God's wisdom, it's not his ways, But as we grow, guys, this is what's cool. We're on this joy in the journey. God wants us to get closer to him and do it his way and not our own way. That's what the trials are for. It's the testing of our faith. It's like when a storm comes, it tests the structural integrity of your building. The storms come in our life to test our structural integrity. What really is our faith in? And he continually wants us to grow us in this. When you think about these verses in Hebrews, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We can't see Jesus Christ, can we? We can experience him when we're together and by faith. And But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. This is the faith he wants to move us towards God. We seek God and he rewards us. Those who seek his faith, where this means less of Jim Turek's ways, more of Jesus' ways. And this is a continual journey, guys, we're all on. None of us in this church truly, measured by your response mechanism, is 100% responsive to God in all things. We all kind of find our own way and find another way to do it. So in James chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking nothing. Guys, you know when we're in a trial, we pray that we get out of the trial, that we get healed or we get the job or we get the relationship or or whatever it is. We would like to be out of the trial. That's not reality. Reality is what God is doing in our hearts in the trial, producing this steadfastness. But it hurts, guys, doesn't it? It hurts when people you love are hurting, When we're hurting, to just realize that it's in the trial is when he wants to strengthen us. And when I talk about faith, I'm talking about more of a focus on faith in God and his ways and not me and my ways because I know better than God so often. I threw this um, right next slide. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. This is, this is really the core of the, of the insight and application of this section in James because um, this, is, this is the part we screw up a lot. I want to go a slide ahead and back up here. Because when we ask God, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave at a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord He's a double-minded man or woman, unstable in all his ways. Why do you think this is put in here? Because when we ask God for wisdom, and I know this from my own life and from being involved in so many lives, going through hard times, often we go to God with our plan and then maybe go to the pastor who would be me and say, well... God wants me to be happy, and so um, I'm going to do this, 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 and it is no way God's wisdom. It's counter to God's plan, it's counter to God's ways. It's walking away from the will of God, but pretending you're asking God for wisdom. Has anyone ever done that? I have. You don't have to, you know. We go, God, give me wisdom in this, and my mind's already made up. Basically, God, give me wisdom. But I'm double-minded. I'm not sure what to do, so I'm going to do what I want to do, even though I'm asking you for wisdom, God. But I really don't want to hear. I'm listening to God's word. You're going well. That's what the Christians say. Wah, 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 wah. That's what God says. But here's what I'm going to do, and God just rubber stamp my plan. I hope you guys have done that because I do. We get our mind set. My faith is on something else, and this is what I want and I'm going to go for it and get it. And, oh, is God going to be mad at me? You Christians can't judge me. Wah, wah, wah. I'm going to do what I want to do, basically. <laughs> Tuck my thumb. I'm going to do what I want to do, and you Christians don't lay that heavy trip on me, because God wants me happy. I hope some of you guys have done that. It's like, we ask God for wisdom, but it talks about the unstable person doesn't believe by faith what God said they're going to do, and so we go our own way. I hope you guys have done that, because we're all prone. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all go our own way. And a shepherd who loves us is say, "Come on back, Jimmy. Come on back, Jimmy." And he ran away, did your own thing, your own thing. OK, come on back." I want you to follow me, the good shepherd, instead of running around in those rocks, partying away, thinking you're having a good time, and now you're hurt, and you're coming back to me, the shepherd. This is what it is, being stable and saying, okay, God, give me your wisdom. I want to do it. And that's what this previous slide's about, when Jesus told the story about the wise man who built his house on the rock. And he describes the wise man. It's someone who comes to Christ here's my words, and here's the kicker, puts them in practice. That's wisdom, guys. And that's what James is about. Chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving your own self. James is one practical dude. I mean, how'd you like growing up being a little brother of Jesus and having Jesus around the house all the time? You know? He had a pretty good role model, didn't he? And so he's like, you know, guys, we need to walk our talk. You know, that's really the short version of the whole book of James, you know. He's like, dude, he didn't say dude. He said, let's walk our talk here, you know. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And so when the storms are coming, like Jesus is talking about, wisdom, which is in line with the book of James, let's ask God for wisdom and believe, is coming to Christ, hearing what he says, and doing it, applying it. So often as believers, We know what the Bible says, or we know what some Christian friend is telling us to do or not do, but we're like, I'm not going to apply it. I know that. I know that. I've heard people tell me, you know, I've read through the Bible three times, and their life is going down the tubes, major ship. I've read the Bible three times. Don't be telling me about the Bible. Okay, this is my picture of those who are going to do their own thing. You ask God for wisdom, but you're not listening anyway. Because so often God's wisdom has you do the hard thing not the escape. So often the right thing is the hard thing, isn't it, guys? And it doesn't make me happy when I follow God. It does eventually, but at first you're like, God, you want me to do that? Or God, you want me to stop doing that? Come on, don't you want me to be happy? And, and when, we, when we're doing that thinking, we're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the sand represents our philosophy, our worldview, anti-biblical direction and culture is me I'm going to do it my way I'm better than you I'm building my house on the sand and go ahead try me and then the storm comes and it says how great was that fall because we don't build our life on the wisdom of God we build it on the wisdom of man we do it guys I hope I keep saying I hope you guys can relate with me because when it comes to failure I am so good at failure when it comes to being fragile I'm so good at being fragile I just cling to him, guys. He's the foundation. He's the strength. He's the wisdom. He's the power. He's the encouragement. He's everything we need. So why don't we just build our house on the rock? And then when the storm comes, we're going to hold up through it because our foundation is secure. Our personal belief system is in God and his ways, not in the ways of the world. When the storm comes, we make it through the storm. And what is so cool then, guys, is others see the stability of your life because you built your house on the rock god uses your life to touch somebody else and then when they're going through a hard time they come up to you quietly and saying wow can you give me some advice you know it's usually the person at work who makes the least amount of money who's the one who's willing to come up and talk to you someone who knows what it is to suffer i just think of so often guys we just we just want to build up our wisdom on the things of the world instead of being secure in the life of Jesus Christ. So when we ask wisdom, it talks about the one who doubts, being like the wave of the sea, like, oh, yeah, I'm going with this crowd. And then this crowd is cooler, and you feel accepted there, like, okay, I'm going to go with this crowd. Oh, you're not cool anymore? Oh, they like my whatever. Okay, I'm going to hang out with them. I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I'm going to identify with this group over here. This is the classic scenario of raising your teenagers, isn't it? Now, don't do drugs, don't get drunk, and don't hang out with those guys. You know, it's like, why in that portion of your life do people cling to things that are wrong? Because they feel accepted, they feel loved, they get their identity that way. And we can point our finger at the teenagers, but I'm going to point it back at me. Why do I so often go the wrong way? Because I feel accepted, loved, I'm insecure, I don't feel significant, I don't feel secure, so I'm going to hang out with someone who will love me. I will hang out with someone who thinks I'm cool, and then I'll feel better about myself. <laughs> this is the wrong thinking I'm laying out here, you know. It's like being close to God and knowing you're loved by God, totally accepted by the creator of the universe. That's why you want to build your house on the rock. God, who's the most important part in the entire universe, God himself has chosen to love me and accept Jim Turek. Even though I'm a loser, low life, lousy sinner, I've been saved by the blood of Christ, so why don't I act like it? Why don't I get my significance and my security, my faith is all in God and His ways instead of the ways of the world for acceptance? Guys, I've only got, I'm not supposed to talk about time. I just. We, we all do things to be accepted by people, don't we guys? You know, what you wear, what you drive, what your job is, whatever. And, and, and in a sense, we're, we're measured by that by the ways of the world, but that is not the way God measures us. And um, this next section, um, well, this whole thing just has to do with my faith and my wisdom, leaving Jim Turk's great worldly knowledge of my long life and moving more towards God, the eternal creator, sustainer, universe, lover of my soul. He's drawing us to himself, that our thinking can be more his thinking and less of my thinking. And um, Romans talks about this too, as we decide to live for God, He desires to transform us by the renewing of our mind. See, I'm talking about our personal belief system, our worldview. When the tough times come, what comes out is what we really believe. It could be swear words or whatever. Whatever we really believe is what comes out of us. You know, when we're squeezed, it comes out what we really believe. And this verse in Romans, when we decide one day that, you know what, I'm going to live for you like the bondservant. I'm offering myself a living sacrifice to you, and, it could, and later here it says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Wonderful verse for, for wisdom, guys. You guys, that word trans, transform, in the Greek it's metamorpho, which is the idea of metamorphosis. You know, the little caterpillar crawling along, and he stops, cocoon comes out a beautiful butterfly. This is transforming us by our thinking, by our wisdom. God wants to transform us to be more like Jesus Christ, imitators of God as dearly loved people. So part of the thinking, uh, yeah, I put this in here because this is probably the part of the sermon, you're thinking, yeah, 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 but what about the real world that I actually live in? What about the world and the systems, the school, the workplace? So whatever, whatever society we hang out with. Um, Think about um, what we should be living by. People quote the first part of this saying so much. They go, man shall not live by bread alone. Connie's from an Italia, mafia kind of family from Chicago. They go, man shall not live by bread alone. here I'm this nerd just out of Bible college. I completed it. Yes, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you party killer. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where the wisdom's from, God. People don't quote that half of it, do they? It doesn't sound like a party. But it's really what it's about. Yeah, we've got to exist in this world. But I would love to think about life beyond existence. And the rest of James talks about um, the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And at first as I'm studying this, why did you get put this part in here? Lord, because we're talking about trials and temptation, and all of a sudden, we're bringing up these verses. Well, God's pretty smart. See how it all hooks together. I got four minutes. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also, Will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits? I think God put this in here that we can become a counter culture church. We're not living for the ways of the world, which is making money and being popular and living a pseudo-reality in the social places on your phone. Like, man, I'm somebody. I got 350 friends, and every time I post a picture, everyone says like, but then if someone says dislike, oh, I'm a loser, and we we got these little, these worlds that really are not real, they're not face to face, and the world teaches us that that's where you need to look good, is on social media, what about the people in our lives, what about the relationships in our lives? Life beyond existence. I call this little section here becoming a counter-cultural church. We don't need to live for the values of the world, guys. It's all going to pass away. This isn't a bad dog. You shouldn't make a lot of money or look good. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, what do we truly, truly value in life? And as we go to God for wisdom in our trials, He reveals our faith. And Our faith, a biggest part of our faith is knowing where we're going when we die. And here's a huge thing, so many people, even a lot of Christians, can't say, well, why am I on earth? What is my purpose here on earth? And I hope you guys can dig deep and ask God for an answer for that. If you want to cheat and look at my test, I it on there to glorify God and to bring many, many more people to know Jesus Christ. That's what's on my paper. And if you want to cheat off of mine, okay. But I'm begging you guys, find your purpose and live it. Have this purpose that is way bigger than your problems because we're all going to have problems. But if you found the love of Jesus Christ and the love of Christ compels you to affect eternity, like the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want to be in your will. And the hard times help me clarify the purpose. So as I said, a term I just love for myself too is is your purpose bigger than your problems? Because when you're in your problems, you dig deep and you need to find those answers. Like it says in James, you want to ask God for wisdom and by faith accept God's answers and obey God. Because he's pretty smart, guys. You know, we say that, but then when we're in the trial, it's like, God, remind me of my purpose on earth. Remind me of my identity in you, Jesus Christ. Remind me that I'm your bond servant. Remind me that this life is way short. And I want to affect eternity with my life. God, use my life to bring glory to you. Um, From here, uh, tomorrow we're going to Chicago. One of my brother-in-law has been given a, possible week to live I'm not sure if he's saved I gotta find out that's what I'm saying it's like I'm supposed to be back at work but it's like no brother-in-law's dying and I want to know if he knows Jesus Christ I want to give him the opportunity I can't make him get saved and he's heard me talk about Christ for many years but it's like okay God I want to I need to be in your will and the Holy Spirit's clearly clearly leading Connie and I not to get back to work but we need to be by this guy's side as he's dying. I mean, this is just a little example of what I mean, trials. It's like we need to get so close to God that, that His Holy Spirit is alive in our life, and we're listening to Him, and we're responding to Him. Right now, the Holy Spirit tell me to stop because it's 10 after, and I'm supposed to stop. So, Greg, I'm all done up here, boss. I think Greg's coming up after me. So I hope this isn't a Greg? Is there a Greg in the house? Okay. <laughs> I just trust that God has touched your heart and encouraged you today.